Hey, howdy, space fans. Thanks for joining me each week as we explore space exploration. Now, this show is powered by listeners just like you, so consider a donation to WMFE. That's the radio station that produces Are We There Yet? You can do that by calling 1-800-785-2020 or visiting WMFE.org. Your financial gift helps us better explore space exploration. And thanks. From the studios at WMFE in Orlando, Florida, this is the Space Exploration Podcast that asks the question, are we there yet? Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. If you picked up this month's copy of National Geographic, you'll see this awesome composite photo of Mars, taken by India's Mars Orbiter Mission Probe. It's a sneak peek at what's to come this month for National Geographic, an in-depth look at putting humans on Mars. Later this month, they're airing a six-part docudrama looking at the challenges of colonizing the Red Planet. Now, inside this issue with that really cool composite picture of Mars is a cover story titled Elon Musk Wants to Go to Mars. The piece looks at the challenges of sending humans to Mars, the competing plans between the private space industry and NASA, and how the two might work together to accomplish such a feat. Joining us to talk about this piece is the author of the cover story, Joel Achenbach, along with contributing to National Geographic. He's a staff writer at the Washington Post. Joel, thanks so much for joining us. Great to be here. Well, Mars is this massive cross-platform story of how humans will one day colonize Mars. Uh, first, Joel, kind of tell me about your role in the project. What did you work on? So I wrote the article that's the cover story in National Geographic. I'm, I'm an old newspaper reporter. I've been at the Miami Herald for eight years and then 26 at the, years at the Washington Post. And occasionally I freelance for National Geographic. I wrote this cover story on Mars because, um, you know, I've been writing about space for decades now. And uh, it, the story is, is linked to the six-part TV docudrama that's coming out that's going to be a, a big splash. You say that you've been writing about space for years. What, what kind of got you interested in this particular piece, writing about Mars and, and the plans to, to colonize the planet? Well, not, not to go too far back in time, but I grew up in Florida, in Gainesville, and was always you know, really excited about the space program, the Apollo program. I figured, like a lot of people in my generation, that um, you know, someday I'd live in space, you know, that we'd all be zooming around the solar system. So over the years, I, I just have... You know, delved back into the topic, and I'm you know I'm based in D.C., so I I know the folks at NASA. I've covered a lot of their missions, the, some of the Hubble repair missions, and I've been many times to the Cape there, and it's been you know really a fun thing to write about all these years. Now what we got going on is NASA says they're on a journey to Mars, and they have the heavy lift rocket the SLS they're building, and Orion the new capsule. They're talking about this asteroid retrieval mission. Uh, and uh, the proving ground, uh, you know, these missions to orbit the moon in the 2020s, does all that add up to a real Mars program? I mean, that, they brand it the journey to Mars. I think it's a fair question to ask, uh, is this a real Mars program, or is it sort of a Potemkin uh, Mars program that looks like one? I've talked to folks at NASA, and in, in, I think they make a, a persuasive case that you want to go incrementally and sustainably. I mean, that is their argument, which we talk about in this story, is that if you're going to go to Mars, um, do it in a way that it's not like a stunt. I mean, Bill Gerstenmaier said to me, if you look at what happened with Apollo, that may not have been the ideal way to do a moon program because they went and landed on the surface six times, 
1972, that was the last mission, and we haven't been back to the moon or, or beyond low Earth orbit ever since. So you can build the argument, which NASA says, that we should go incrementally, sustainably, methodically. Now, SpaceX with Elon Musk, they want to go right now and, you know, just build giant rockets, send thousands of rockets, and put a million people on Mars. It's a completely different vision. It's less, seems less plausible, but you have to admire the, the, uh, the you know, can-do attitude. Does that kind of take away from NASA's plan, though? You, you start to see public perception shift in the way of, you know, SpaceX and Elon Musk and, and, and not really giving credit to NASA. Do you think that they're, they're kind of crippled because of that? No, I think ultimately they're all in the same project together. It, in, any mission to Mars is going to involve NASA and private companies in some form or other through some kind of contract, whether it's a commercial contract or a traditional contract. It's going to probably involve international partners, it, it, Mars is hard. You know, I mean, your audience knows this. Space is hard. Things, things blow up. Things go wrong. Uh, I don't, I, although I think there are people who are big fans of Elon Musk and his vision. I mean, they're, they, you know, they're true believers in that. Um, I think that, that Elon is the first to point out, hey, you know, we're, we're not in a competition against NASA to do this. In fact, as he's noted many times, NASA is their best customer. I mean, they, 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 the, NASA is essential to the SpaceX business plan with the, with the commercial crew program. And uh, even this mission that uh, SpaceX wants to do, the Red Dragon mission, where they're going to send a, this uh, a robotic probe to the surface of Mars, it'd be probably the biggest payload ever to land there. Well, you know, let's see mm-hmm. if it works. That is something that SpaceX will do in cooperation with NASA, because NASA has a lot of the technical expertise, including uh, navigation systems and those big, those big radio telescopes for communicating with the spacecraft. I mean, NASA will be part of that mission, too. They're just not going to throw money into it. Going back to, to your cover story you wrote, um, talk to me about some of the reporting. You look at the list of people involved in the project. It's really a who's who of space exploration. Names like Charlie Bolden, Elon Musk, Andy Weir, Jim Lovell. You mentioned Gerst that you spoke with. Um, uh, for the story, did you get to talk to to a lot of people that are involved in the project, and, and what's been their sense and how we get to Mars? I, I talked to a lot of engineers who uh, people at JPL and NASA Johnson, uh, and, I, and I went to I went to Kennedy. I, I, I talked to folks who have different kind of architectures and different visions for how you would do it. So, for example, at JPL, there's a couple of engineers uh, who have a a, a concept for going to Mars using essentially flat budgets and existing technology. There is an argument to be made that what you don't want to do is try to get too fancy. So uh, right now, for example, NASA is spending a fair amount of resources, not a ton, but I think uh, on looking at in-situ resource utilization on the surface. You know, How could you do kind of Matt Damon-like stuff of, of you know of creating fuel or food or whatever on the surface of Mars, if you if if your goal is to get there and back, you could potentially not invest in that. You could just invest in uh, other stuff, like really working on reliable life support systems during the interplanetary um, part of the journey. You know the the transit to Mars. Um, so I so I talked to I talked to lots of people with, with different visions. 
in, in the private sector and at NASA. I think I talked to everyone I could possibly talk to for this story. Like, what's your vision? And, you know, the, ultimately the question that I ask myself and I try to explain it in the story is, is this really going to happen? It's hard to know. It is, there's no single reason, though, why you couldn't do it. So if you wanted to do it badly enough, you could put humans on the surface of Mars probably in the next 40 years. 40 years, that's a little more conservative than, say, NASA or even Elon Musk. Actually, I think, I think it's consistent with what NASA is saying. Because if So a dirty little secret is that when President Obama said a couple of weeks ago, we're going to send people to Mars in the 2030s, and when NASA talks about sending people to Mars in the 2030s, they are not talking about landing on Mars. That, I, I think there are folks in Congress who say a landing has to be part of that, but the, the current NASA policy is to orbit Mars in the 2030s with a landing sometime after that. Now, could that be 10 years after that? All right, so let's say it's 30 years total before you land someone on Mars. Uh, but, you know, things tend to take a little longer. It's, 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 it's hard to do this unless there's like a geopolitical imperative to do it. If we were in a real race against China somehow for space dominance, um, you could imagine a scenario where, where they might want to put a higher percentage of the federal budget into a Mars program, which is what happened with the Moon program in the 1960s. I mean, NASA had 4.4% of the, of the um, federal budget was just for NASA. I mean, it was a huge spike uh, in, in the NASA budget. And then, of course, started to come down. And we've had flat budgets in recent decades. So on a flat budget, I don't know. I don't think 40 years is a crazy prediction. I think that's maybe a little conservative, maybe 30. But, you know, th- then the, the wild card is could SpaceX do it in, in eight? You know, that's what Elon wants to do, 2024. So I, I think that's um, a little overly optimistic. But uh, we'll see. It's the future. Who knows? Well, speaking of Elon, the piece you wrote for National Geographic is titled Elon Musk Wants to Go to Mars. Without spoiling too much so we get people to actually pick up a copy and read the article, what's driving Musk on this on this mission? Well, he has a ph- philosophy. He has a vision, which is that for human beings to survive long term, they need to be a multi-planetary species. Uh, the practical reason is that if something bad happened to Earth, humans would still live somewhere else, you know, like an asteroid impact or supervolcano eruption or something. And also, I think he says, and I think this is a good argument, that it just would be cool to do it. It'd be fun. It'd be interesting. It's a more interesting future. I, you know, I have a philosophical quibble with that in the sense that I don't see Mars as a plan B. If something goes wrong with Earth, I think uh, that's a little defeatist. I think we should save the Earth and not imagine somehow that it would be a good outcome if humans lived on some little outpost on Mars, but everything else on Earth was, you know, a wasteland. I don't know. I mean, I, that, that, you could, it's a late-night dorm room conversation. But in any case, the, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he has a vision, and he, he intends to devote his resources, his personal wealth, to making that vision come true. So... There's a purpose-driven life for you, and uh, you have to respect that. Now, after that announcement uh, in Guadalajara, which unveiled this this architecture to send thousands and thousands of people to, to colonize Mars, there's there's been some criticism of Musk for being too forward-thinking. You know, he's he's talking about this this giant mission, 
while his rocket fleet's still grounded here at the Cape, it's like he's trying to run before he can crawl. I mean, through your reporting, do you think that that's, that's fair criticism of Elon Musk at this point? Yeah, I think that, that, sounds, that's, that sounds like a reasonable criticism. I, I mean, he, he is what he is. You know, he, this, this is how he rolls. Uh, yeah, he's had two accidents recently. Um, the, you know, Mike Griffin always says PowerPoint rockets never have problems. Um, and in real life, problems arise. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't see how giant spaceships, these giant rockets, how it pencils out in terms of who's going to pay for it. Um, you talk, you know, when they talk about people buying a ticket to Mars and the ticket costing roughly what a house would cost, uh, that's, a, that's a weird business model. I'm not sure that, that uh, pencils out either. So, yeah, I think his vision strikes me as, as excessive. On the other hand, I've had many people, including people in NASA, say you don't want to bet against this guy. So maybe it won't be exactly the way he's, he's, he's uh, envisioning it. But if you want, I mean, one of the problems with NASA right now in terms of going to Mars is that it, you, you don't get the sense that they're – fully committed to doing it as soon as possible, um, because they know all the risks involved. Whereas uh, uh, someone like Elon Musk can take a, a greater, you know, can handle more risk. He can put up with more risk and accept it, and um, that, that creates the ability to do things more quickly. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet the ranch against him, but, uh, but I certainly did feel like his, his architecture that he unveiled in Mexico struck me as, as aspirational in the extreme. Did you have a chance to, to talk with Musk for this piece? Not for this piece, although he did talk to National Geographic, um, uh, and I've talked to him in the past and communicated with his people, and I, I, I got some, some, uh, you know, some information from SpaceX, but he, did, he, did, he, he talks, he's a major character in the Geographic uh, docudrama that's coming out. So he had extensive interviews. Um, uh, I think it was with Ron Howard, the uh, the direct, one of the producers. Right, and and you know this this being a, a cross platform project anchored with a name like Ron Howard. I mean, what kind of role does does the media have in kind of drumming up support for a program like this? Well, I don't drum up support for anyone. Uh, I I I'm just telling a story that that, that I you know I'm, I'm reporting the facts as I see them. I don't have a I don't have an agenda, and I hope the readers, when they read this article, will see that. I mean, that I'm not I'm not saying we ought to go to Mars now or later, or that we ought to do it through a public program or a private program. I'm I'm describing the challenges of doing it. I think if there's one thing my story does, it will maybe recalibrate in some people's uh, minds the 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 suite of challenges. Uh, th- that face anyone trying to go to Mars. I mean, you, it, the human being is not really adapted to space at all. I mean, things go awry the moment you leave the Earth's gravitational field and you're out there in zero gravity. It, it's hard to keep people alive in space, and it's hard to land anything heavy on Mars. Mars' atmosphere is really problematic. And I spell that out in the story. So, for, you know, as far as the media's role, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I think our role is to shine light on these situations, not to drive an agenda. Now, there are other people who, would, who are 
you know, they, they, they're, they're agenda-driven journalists. That's what they do. They say this is how it ought to play out. And that's just a different style. I mean, that's not, I'm old school. Well, with that said, and, and with those challenges of Mars, are you signing up to uh, report from the Mars desk at all? <laughs> you mean, would I, would, I, would I go into space? Are you going, way? Joel? I don't know. I want to look at the, uh, the rocket design first. I don't know. I might not be the first. <laughs> I, might, I might be the second wave. When I picked up this beat, my wife said I was not allowed to go to space, so I have to stay here on the ground myself. So. Oh, yeah. Well, you've got to listen to her. <laughs> You know, I'm really interested because, you know, you you were in Florida. You worked in Florida uh, at the start of your career. Um, what's kind of been your view of how the Space Coast is shaping up now with more of a focus on that, that private industry and the likes of SpaceX and, and ULA coming through and now Blue Origin? Well, I, I think it's exciting. I think it's it's the natural evolution of, of the industry, uh, it, it's wrenching for people. A lot of people, you know, lost jobs. Uh, you know, the old model was where NASA was the only game in town. Um, you know, ha- but it had that had to. Go, it's a natural evolution uh, of, of the industry, I would think. And I think it's it's exciting what's happening on this on the space coast. I don't live there, but I visit there often. Got family there. Um, big fan of Cocoa Beach, that whole area. So. You know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, the people like Bezos, who owns Blue Origin, and and Musk, and everyone else, they, they, you know, they're excited about this stuff. They have a lot of energy they're putting into it, and a lot of their personal wealth. And uh, so we'll see. I, it, it could be that that Mars, although it's it's like the 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 pole star for some people in the business. That that's not really where the action's going to be. It'll be in some other utilization of of low Earth orbit and and, and possibly the moon in the next twenty years. I, I I would not be shocked if there's another pivot back to the moon before we go to Mars. Um, I think that's there's an argument for that. And with a new administration, we'll see what happens. Joel, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Great, thanks for having me, Brendan. I really enjoyed it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Make sure you check out Joel's piece in this month's National Geographic. There's some really cool photos in there, including one of the regolith bin. You'll remember that from a previous episode where we took a trip to Swamp Works at Kennedy Space Center. Support for Are We There Yet comes from the listeners of WMFE. You can follow the show online. We're on Twitter at AWTYMars. Are We There Yet Mars? Get it? Or reach out to me in the Twitterverse. I'm at SpaceBrendan. I'd love to hear some ideas of what other things we should explore in future podcasts. So send me a tweet. Or you can always email me at arewetheryet at wmfe.org. Leave us a review on iTunes. That's how more people learn about the podcast. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE, and our theme music was composed by Kevin McLeod. Find more space news online at wmfe.org space. As always, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. <laughs>